with you today. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's an honor and a thrill to talk to you. I, I have with me uh, Billy Ray Valentine. He's another uh, talk show host on my network, and he's the one that kind of got me into uh, having a show. And uh, so he, he's probably going to ask you a few questions, too. Um, okay. And that is Bill? Yeah, Billy, Billy Ray, Billy Ray. And uh, so he'll be asking some questions, too. But uh, thanks for so much for, for making time for me. And uh, well, let me thank you, too, right off the bat again. What an, what an honor it was for, for me that you wrote the foreword to my new book. I mean, it's yeah, really, it's, it's uh, a, a wonderful. And the, the book is doing, starting off real well. And I think your name on oh, it, obviously. Has a, oh, good. Glad it's working for you. Yeah, has, and I'm sure your name has a lot to do with it. So... Anyhow, so so much I could ask you. Again, I, I you know, it's it's I, I've been gratified to talk to a lot of people that I admired over the years. Uh, but uh, you, know, you are at the top of the list. Uh, you know, when you were in Congress, I followed your career, and uh, the fact that you were the only member of Congress, really, I guess since uh, maybe Wright Patman, I guess was the last guy before you that became a really foremost critic of the Fed. So, uh, starting out as, as as a medical doctor, what uh, you know or spurred you to enter politics? Well, I never thought of myself as entering politics. Um, I I was curious enough to start reading in the 1960s, even when I was in medical school. You know, if I wanted some extra things to study and read, it it turned to economics. In the the 1960s, especially in the 70s, uh, there was a lot of activity going on with the dollar and gold. But I was reading Austrian economics and came across the uh, the school of thought in the 60s. So that was very early on. And the predictions were made that uh, that whole system would break down. And Henry Hazlitt said it would never work, even in 1945. So when that happened in 1971, uh, it really caught my attention. And I thought, well, I think the money issue is a big deal. So I did a lot of studying, kept up with it, and started speaking out on it, and saw an opportunity to talk about it because the 70s were so chaotic. You know, we had wage and price controls and runaway inflation, interest rates at 21%, mm-hmm. and there was an explanation. I thought a bunch of clowns were in Washington, and so I thought nobody wanted to run in 1974, the first time I ran, because it was a Watergate year, and De- Texas was still all Democrat, that uh, even the Republicans, um, you know, wanted me to run just to have a name on the, on the ballot. And that was sort of a fluke because the individual resigned and it was set up the stage for winning a special election. So that sort of came accidentally. But my goal was always uh, to work on the monetary issue. And then the longer I was in Washington and dealing with these issues, the more fascinated I came with the putting together the whole issue around money because if you don't like what's happening overseas and you don't like what's happening here in the domestic economy and welfareism, you can't deal with that without looking at the moral hazard of being able to print the world currency because if you that's like printing the gold and as long as the people trust it and think so you you made obviously you you know this came to be your predominant issue and said where do you think and obviously your son now in the Senate Rand Paul uh, has where does that stand when he he was trying to uh, get the Fed audited because and of course Donald Trump that's one of his many campaign promises that he talked about that he hasn't delivered on do you think there's still any effort there is 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 Rand still trying to get the the Fed audited 
Oh, yeah, the best he can. And we still talk a lot about it in Campaign for Liberty, and we have state organizations. We're concentrating right now on trying to get resolutions and laws passed at the state where uh, gold and silver is legal tender because the Constitution is rather clear. And that's not magic. That doesn't mean that uh, we're on the verge of getting rid of the Fed and having a gold standard and getting an audit done. But it's all important to get people understanding uh, the the issue. And even though Trump hasn't exactly followed through what he alluded to and that we, he'd have an audit, it still is important because it stays in the news. Just like Judy Shelton, you know, uh, being uh, suggested as a member of the Federal, uh, the Federal Reserve Board, uh, no, she's uh, not exactly where we are in the gold standard, but the fact that they're condemning her now because she even thinks gold is worth thinking and talking about. I mean, I think that's all very good because this system will come apart. And the only thing that usually happens, um, it's orderliness in, this, in the economy can only come about by, uh, you know, uh, getting a uh, decent currency again. That is backing it by something of real value, silver and gold. Well, does Rand have uh, Donald Trump's ear at all? Has he been able to ask him anything about the the Fed or push him on that whatsoever? I, I've never asked Rand, but my guess would be uh, that there's been other issues that uh, probably came to attention because he's talked to him a few times. Uh, and that is uh, the medical thing issue, trying to get some regulations passed, which they're they're they've been ha- they've had some success on trying to undermine uh, you know Obamacare. So he's he's gotten that down, and I think he's had some influence on foreign policy, even though it's almost impossible to figure out exactly where Trump's coming from because. You know, one day he's for bombing Iran, the next day he says, no, that's a bad idea, somebody might die. (laughs) So I think he has more influence there. I just don't think that uh, when you get in there um, in office like that, that it's going to get the attention necessary to move it along. But uh, I I think the fact that he was probably the only uh, candidate that was likely to become president that said, yeah, we all know what's going on there, but that's not going to happen. But I I don't – that doesn't mean uh, I am less enthusiastic Matter of fact, I'm as enthusiastic as ever to talk about it, whether in auditing. I don't think a real audit is going to occur. Uh, the reason you want an audit is uh, to expose them. And I think if they don't allow the uh, uh, audit, uh, this is a good example of why don't they want an audit because they're hiding a lot. And I think the Fed is going to end, the whole system will end, not because all of a sudden we had an audit and there was a vote and, and they voted to close it down. That's not it's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing what we're doing because it's getting attention and trying to say, well, why do you want to get rid of the Fed? Well, very, for a very good reason. Uh, they're causing all the trouble. And uh, it's right now we're dealing with how are they going to work out a QEs? Uh, you know, quantitative easing, easing has just been a horrendous problem. And uh, there's still a lot of excitement and positive thinking. Uh, stock markets are still high. And yet it's, it's a huge bubble it's a it's a stock bubble there's a debt bubble yeah. and a bond bubble and so many distortions uh that that will come to an end and we'll have to deal with the problem well you, you and i you and i have been saying i mean obviously you've been saying it for a lot longer into a much much bigger audience but i i've been talking about i i don't see how an economy built like ours is presently 
can continue without collapsing. And I know you've been talking about it a long time as well. And like, talk about the bubble that's artificially holding it up. But uh, they did have a, a partial audit. And I think Rand was, was partially responsible for that, wasn't it? Not that many years ago. And it revealed uh, some, uh, was it trillions or something that, that, that uh, had been uh, steered uh, to corporate uh, uh, corporations and banks? Yeah. A little bit came out of it. We had, we had a bill in after nine, uh, after uh, you know the crash in '08 and '09, and then at the last minute they accepted some that would look into some of the finances that went on overseas. But you really didn't get to look at the books, and I think they came up with some numbers that they probably used about 15 trillion dollars to bail out banks and governments and try to smooth things over. And on the short run, they could argue, yeah, but we saved the day. And in some ways, that's true. They were able to patch this system, but it's also made a bigger bubble, you know. But uh, yeah, we had that, but it wasn't wasn't really a, tr a true audit of what we need. And that is, uh, even though we found out that they they had used these trillions and trillions of dollars in overseas activity, they're into subsidizing and interfering overseas because that's what they cherish and uh, want to protect as much as anything is all their overseas activity they they uh that will be the last thing you'll, that you'll hear about and i think it's always uh, very much connected to foreign policy as well because uh, as long as our credit is good and we can do certain things we can prop up governments and you know we control the financial system we can put on sanctions and deny them the use of the financial markets and swift and and they keep thinking about what will the alternative be and so far they don't have one uh but uh there, there will be one because someday we'll wake up and people will be racing out of out of the system uh, and, uh, and and looking for something else. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, the foreign policy areas are the other area where obviously we are we are in uh, complete accord on. And uh, what, what do you, I'm wondering what you think of uh, some people have called Tulsi Gabbard uh, a democratic version of Ron Paul, at least on foreign policy. She sounds a lot like you when she talks. Or, or have you listened to much of what she has said to say? Oh yeah, I listened to it, and I've said uh, favorable things about her because uh, one interview I had, they said, "Well, of all that list, who do you, who do you like on the Democratic Party?" I says, "Well, I really haven't studied them. Uh, it's pretty boring for me. There are twenty of them, and I can't even name them all. But if I had to pick one uh, that's worth anything, I would say Tulsi Gabbard has a good foreign policy." And uh, some people interpreted that I had just fully endorsed her for, for <laughs> candidate, which which I have not. But uh, I I would say that because she's willing to speak out on uh, on foreign policy, that uh, she she would probably be the safest and best of all those that are uh, running for office on the Democratic side. Yeah, because the rest of them, I I don't see any of them saying too many too many things that I agree with. But at least when right. she talks foreign policy, she does. Uh, Billy Ray, you want to jump? You have some questions for Dr. Paul? Hey, Dr. Paul, how are you? My name is Billy Ray Valentine. It's it's a pleasure to speak with you. Um, Thank you. Uh, Don is very aware of this, but uh, you are the only person I have ever been motivated to vote for. Now I got a lot of a lot of uh, slack for that, but if um. If I don't feel a candidate is moral enough, I'm just not going to vote for them. And uh, you're the only one, so it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah. one of the main reasons why I did was your, your uh, foreign policy, your stance on foreign policy, because it just doesn't seem to change no matter who's in office. 
the agenda continues. And now, I mean, they've been knocking on Venezuela's door for a long, long time. And uh, they seem like they're not going to stop until they get their way. And Iran is in their scope as well. And it has been for a long time. But almost blatant false flags have taken place at this point in order to push whatever war they want to push. How do you see this all turning out in Iran? Badly. Um, and I did, have spent a lot of time on it, did my program today on this, because uh, they're, they're getting pushed uh, a little bit uh, hard. And not only have they gone over the, the limit of their Ukrainian, uranium, they have also said we're going to further enrich past the 3.67. And uh, they're very adamant. And, and of course, I think every accusation leveled at the Iran's has been uh, wrong. I think uh, we're the ones that broke the treaty. We're the ones that got out. The Europeans uh, promised that they would help the Iran's if we ever put sanctions on uh, after this uh, treaty, if if anybody got out of the treaty. And uh, so they haven't fulfilled their promises either. So I think it's ratcheting up. I think that uh, one thing that people should be concerned about is you know, taking out of what they think are certain sites, and uh, Israel is quite capable of doing that. They did it in the 1980s. Uh, I think that uh, that might appeal to Trump more than using our own airplanes. But no, I think it's uh, it's getting much worse. And one thing, but the other thing to be really concerned about is we, we do talk about uh, Trump's inconsistencies. He, you know, is ready to do one thing one day, uh, North Korea, the worst monsters that ever exist, and then now they're, they're our best friends. Um, but he's been very consistent. During the campaign, immediately after he was elected president, he uh, he went to Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, mainly to assure them that uh, Iran was a target, and uh, so that that is uh, going to exist. I don't think all of a sudden uh, there's going to be a shift of attitude in seeing uh, Trump uh, uh, talking with uh, the Ayatollah like we have talked to Un in North Korea. Go ahead, Don. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that's what do you at this point? So many of us. I mean, I, I was attracted to uh, to Donald Trump to my amazement because I you know I thought this guy you know he's a New York billionaire and uh, I, I just knew him from reality TV. I wasn't impressed with him at all, but he just said some revolutionary stuff during the campaign that attracted a lot of independents like myself. And of course, largely he's really been largely disappointing to me. He just, his rhetoric is so different than the way he acts. He reminds me a little bit of Ronald Reagan in that respect. I'm sure you remember how Reagan would uh, talk up cutting government and really never even cut a sub agency his entire time he was in there, but his rhetoric was strong and his supporters remained faithful to him. Uh, what, what is your assessment so far of, of, of Donald Trump as president? Well, it all depends on which subject. I think uh, uh, that uh, that Trump uh, did well by getting taxes lowered and uh, and also regulations reduced, which has probably helped both uh, in reality and uh, perceptually and psychologically, and it's been a boost. But uh, you know, structurally and philosophically, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's all the spending. Republicans and Democrats are in bed together when it comes to Federal Reserve activity, when it comes to deficit financing, when it comes to the world empire. That they all, all this argument and fighting is is just over power. Uh, but they they get along quite well. 
uh, with the spending. So no matter what you hear in the campaigns, I don't think you can rely on Bush. I thought Bush's uh, foreign policy in the year 2000 was <laughs> pretty good because he didn't want to be a nation building. We didn't want to be the policemen of the world, and we should be a humble nation. That was all just all misinformation. He was not telling us the truth. Trump, I think tells the truth, but he gets confused, he doesn't remember, and he switches around. I don't know what's going on uh, with with him. But uh, I, the other thing is, is I don't like his foreign policy. I think it's still very dangerous. I think he's looking for trouble, especially in Iran. But if you take uh, his uh, three years and compare it to the first three years of Obama or Bush or anybody else, the number of Americans that have died or the number of foreigners that have died at our hands, I would say, I bet he comes out pretty well. It's probably been less, mm -hmm. but he still is very, very militant. There's no doubt. And he would say, you're darn right, because I'm tough. Nobody's going to mess with us. And that's why we're going to demonstrate on the 4th of July. 4th of <laughs> July is all about tanks and airplanes yeah. to try to intimidate everybody so they never touch us. That's how you have peace. And some people will say, well... What, what, he, maybe he's making a point, but that's not the point I would think is worthwhile. Well, we, so a lot of us have held, held out hope that uh, he would have some real outsiders in his administration. I mean, if you're going to drain the swamp, uh, I think that's kind of necessary. I don't see a single outsider in there. I, I, I thought maybe you would be named Secretary mm -hmm. of Treasury or uh, 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 you know the head of the Fed. Wouldn't that be yeah. great? Or, but if not, if not you, maybe Rand. But, uh, it, but he he just keeps. I mean, people, to think people like Bolton and Pompeo. I mean, I don't know how because it. Or, do you get the impression as I do that at least if if he's sincere at all when he goes on Twitter, he appears to be speaking for himself. Like when he, the Trump Putin summit that yeah, he had last. His old cat. Yeah. Doesn't add up, and that yeah. means that the deep state's pretty powerful if they can get all their people in. You know, having Bolton in there, uh, but sometimes uh, it looks like he's appealing to two groups. You know, he has Bolton there, and Bolton put a monkey wrench into negotiations in in, uh, in Korea, uh, and uh, also uh, yet the other day when when Trump backed off and said, "I'm going to hold off on bombing uh, bombing Iran." Uh, the, the neocons went nuts. So, but he he appealed to the people who didn't want him to bomb. At the same time, he didn't sound weak. You know, yeah, yeah. people know that he's capable of doing it. But no, it's it, totally inconsistent. That if he were move truly moving toward our foreign policy, he would not have Bolton and Pompeo and Haspel and all these people in in this administration because they'll do anything and everything to undermine because you can imagine everybody under these people are also going to be opposed to any anything that's non-intervention uh they they believe in the uh empire and uh it's it's not going to, most americans unfortunately probably believe in it you know yeah, yeah. uh in the empire and that's where the problem is i i think it's it's not personalities as much as as philosophic uh you know if you're dealing with economics it's the fact that everybody in college almost has studied Keynesian economics and that's why Keynesian yeah. economics is followed and deficits don't matter and the Federal Reserve is okay. Same way with foreign policy. Everybody's been taught this for years and years. Oh yeah, we do too much here and we shouldn't have done that in Iraq and we shouldn't have done Vietnam but we still have to 
you know, be the leader of the world because we're an exceptional nation. And they go on and on. So it's so it's philosophically taught in our universities, and they that gives them all cover. So they may not all be John Bolton, but they all support intervention, and that's what a problem is. So people have to speak out and defend total non-interventionism uh, so that they understand what it really is. Hey, Don, if you well, don't mind, let me jump in here real yeah, quick. Sure, sure. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you made reference to uh, Pompeo and Bolton, and we spoke about Donald Trump earlier and how he's indecisive or forgetful. Now, he appointed these people. He appointed Bolton. He appointed Pompeo um, to continually fill this swamp, right, in my opinion. Um, the U.S. has never dropped more bombs on Afghanistan, right, <laughs> than they are right now. He's, uh, he's dropped more bombs than the Obama administration did. Um, it, it's insane what's going on. The empire, 170,000 troops in 150 countries. It's insane what's going on, and, and I don't think we hold Donald Trump as accountable as we should. Um, saying that he's forgetful, I, I think we should really press him on what's going on and the people that he's brought in to this administration. He appointed them. What do you think of that, Dr. Paul? Well, I think that's true, but the big problem is that uh, the uh, media is controlled by the deep state, so you're not going to get it on TV, so you and I could claim that they should do this, and if we have an audience, maybe we'll convert them one-on-one, -on -one, but we don't have access to the big audience, and uh, they they give excuses for Trump and allow him to get away with it because um, there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of money, but even Trump, Trump is not really uh, either economics or foreign policy-wise. He thinks that uh, it's very good to be close allies with Saudi Arabia uh, and, and being involved in, in Yemen because it's good for business, you know. And uh, matter of fact, that was the reason he said the other day that he didn't think we should do the bombing. We don't want to interrupt the, you know, we want to be able to build weapons, and drop bombs, but we don't want to kill too many people, you know. So uh, that that's a big problem, changing perceptions a big deal. But ultimately, it is it's it's a little bit more than uh, the media. See, the media is controlled by the philosophy of the universities too, because they've all learned you know this stuff, uh, and, you know, in a university, which fits into the people who want the power. The people who want the power in the banking industries or in the politics, and and uh, they they want this, so they get the masses to go along with it. Uh, uh, mainly because the, you know the educational system, the political system, uh, all endorses these ideas. Well, going back to your uh, to your especially your, your 2012 presidential campaign again, I, I knew of you <clears throat> from uh, years before, and I, I was really shocked that the way your 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 campaign caught fire, especially among young people, was kind of a precursor of what would happen uh, with the Bernie Sanders campaign. And, uh, and and Trump as well in 2016, where I think people are looking for something different. And uh, in, in 2012, were you, I mean, how shocked are you, especially the young people that, I mean, I, I can tell you, my, my son was involved in your campaign. His his friend, I, I went to Ron Paul parties, you know, where I had never been to parties before where it was just all young people and they were all devoted to you. And, uh, I, and I, I, it was like uh, Billy Ray was saying, I I've been voting a lot longer than Billy Ray has, and really that casting a vote for you in my primary 
was really one of the few times in my life that I could vote for a candidate because usually I'm just voting against the incumbent or voting for whatever third party candidate. But it was really gratifying to know. And obviously we were so disappointed because I think that the, the way you were uh, kind of ignored in the media. But uh, before we get into that, so what, what were you surprised at the way your, your campaign caught fire, especially among young people? Yeah, I think so, because I was surprised I ever went to Congress. <laughs> you know, I didn't think people would pay much attention, but others were more optimistic that the people were starved for somebody just to tell them the truth, even if they didn't agree with you on all the issues, but they wanted to hear a straight story. And I think Trump comes across as that. He lets them know, you know, he says things about the uh uh, you know, political correctness, and people say, yeah, we like people that yeah. do this. So there there was a lot of that. But uh, once again, uh, what, what you saw and still goes on, I still go out and talk on the college campuses and YAL, and there's still a fair amount of uh, enthusiasm. But that's what really counts. Uh, the the people, the masses, uh, you know, usually um, are just followers, and uh, and it's the leadership. They say that it takes about seven or eight percent of the population to really lead the charge, but it has to be intellectual, and they have to, you know, have access today. You know, uh, we complain about the media, but but there's alternative media too already. There's uh, you and I are talking right now, and I have an internet program, and you know we still reach people. Uh, so just because the masses are still uh, you know being influenced uh, from day to day from what they've just heard on television, uh, it's it's just a reflection of the intellectuals' uh, groundwork that is out there. But that has to be refuted, and I think. Uh, Hopefully. Now, the big thing is, is, you know, they say, yeah, they were enthusiastic when you were a candidate, but they don't even know who you are or anything else. But you're still thinking about some of the things that you came across back then. There are others I run into people now that are still very, very active. And I didn't even know they existed, you know, because they got they heard a heard a message and it seemed logical and they became enthusiastic about it. So I remain an optimist that keep talking out. And that's why somebody like you should stay doing exactly what you're doing and reaches as many people because maybe there's a couple people you've talked to that you don't even know that is, uh, you know, taking the message and spreading it someplace else. So that is what really counts uh, compared to, you know, what Pelosi's doing with John Boehner and what kind of a deal they made and, <laughs> yeah. and that kind of stuff. That is all, all very secondary. Yeah, well, I, and I think that's that's what a lot of us are trying to do. Is it's very frustrating. We we call people whether they're awake or not, and it's trying to awake people one at a time. And that's uh, it's a slow process. But uh, g- you know, get into your campaign. I think that I want to touch on the thing that I noticed back then. And when I mentioned Tulsi Gabbard, uh, she reminded me of you again after that first Democratic debate. I don't know if you read about it or not, but she cleaned up, not quite to the degree that you did. In 2012, and I'm sure you're aware of that. Back in 2012, you would you would get 70, 80 percent on every online poll after the debates that you won. I mean, the, the everybody on the internet was for you, and it, the, the media would would again downplay it and not mention that. And they would talk Rick Santorum, who you know was drawing 10 people at a rally, and I, I was at one of your rallies near here, and the people were wrapped around the building three times. We were lucky to get inside, so I saw firsthand. Now, how you were, you know, really drawing the crowds and the media was downplaying, I think, because of your message. But Tulsi Gabbard, after the first debate, uh, it was not quite the degree of you, but I think she got like almost 50 percent 
of the um, and one you know nobody else I think even got ten percent of the candidates so she was the clear winner online but they barely mentioned her in the major media so did you used to get frustrated because obviously that happened to you over and over again where they would and I think I think it was John Stewart who a couple times on the Daily Show kind of commented about that how they weren't mentioning yeah, you well in, no I, I avoided the frustration because I just really uh, didn't have high expectations I knew who the people I was dealing with yeah people say weren't you frustrated with uh, with all those people in Congress that you know we see as creeps I said not really because I dealt with them in a different level it was all a personal thing I, I didn't confront them I, I didn't like the confrontation I didn't expect too much from them but I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to move people and challenge the establishment. So uh, the, I think if you have the message and you're comfortable with it and you just uh, say, well, uh, let the chips fall where they may, and, uh, and they just much better than I ever expected. So I was pleased with that. Don, I have to uh, mention to you that I have to finish by the bottom of the hour. I have another call coming in. Okay. I wasn't sure how long we we're going for. Okay. So what, what, Billy Ray, do you have any final thoughts and then I'll, I'll ask something? Well, um, I, I, I have a, there's a couple of things, but in the interest of time, um, I want to know if uh, you're familiar with uh, the Council on National Policy. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of stuff about this uh, council. Like, it's kind of like the Council on Foreign Relations. It's very secretive, right wing. I know uh, Rand uh, had a, a meeting with them uh, in, uh, in 2015 of some sort. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, and I think way back, um, I don't know how long they've been in existence, but I think it was back even, could have been in the 1990s, I might have uh, visited with them. I don't know much about them. I can't make a comment because I don't know uh, where they are, what they're doing, or what their positions are, or anything like that. But I'm aware of them, but just vaguely so. Okay. And, I, well, I, I wanted to touch a little bit just on the, during the, in 2012 the, uh, again, the, the what I, I thought was, was voter fraud, and a lot of us did out here, and I, I believe you kind of alluded to it a few times, but what are your thoughts on that, especially considering what happened in the 2016 campaign where we know the DNC emails reveal that uh, they conspired to steal the nomination from Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton? Somehow that's been twisted and transformed into this absurd fairy tale that Russia uh, you know, was, was hacked the election. Russia certainly had nothing to do with your... Uh, your difficulties in the primaries, but a lot of us feel that you were really, uh, you know, cheated in those primaries. Did, do you? Did what? What are your thoughts on on the the voting fraud yeah, that you might have seen? I, I I think that was the case. The first race I well, the second race I ran, um, you know, I lost by three hundred votes out of couple 250,000 votes or something and we found thousands and thousands of illegal votes i think it's uh, i think it's just part of the voting process it falls in the category of why is there so much money in campaigning why is there so much money in lobbying and wh why is this corruption because there's an incentive government is so powerful and it has so much there's so many special interests that benefit from this so i think that's a consequence of having uh, us gotten too close to pure democracy that uh, whatever, whoever can grab the majority vote, you know, has so much clout. Uh, so I, I think that's part of it. As long as you're going to have big government like this uh, and then have election and call it uh, the democratic process, you're going to have people doing this because, uh, because they, they're motivated by power. And uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's the biggest problem that we have. 
Well, do, do you support uh, there? There's uh, an increasing, and I think the Democrats are actually pushing. Again, I think they're doing it because they're they absurdly believe Russia somehow hacked into our uh, elections. But do you? Believe, I, I've a long time believed that we should try to go back to paper ballots. I don't trust electronic voting machines. Are you are you aware of the move for that? Do you support it? Yeah, yeah, I, I would. Uh, but uh, th- then again, um, you, you know, it depends on what people believe in. We, we had this movement on term limitations, and I generally supported it, even mm-hmm. early on. But uh, you say, well, we'll get the good guys on. But the people who come in on term limitations are being influenced by bad economics, bad history, bad foreign policy, and all these things. So it's just sort of a musical chair type of thing. So I don't think uh, you have to do your best to have an honest election, but uh, I'd like to see it where people uh, aren't that interested in, in elections. But uh, they can do us in if you're not. You know, you have to do it out of self-defense. Uh, but I want to get rid of the system that uh, is so monstrosity, such a monstrosity that's always attacking us. Uh, so I'm interested in reducing the size and scope of government. And the best way to do uh, do that is get rid of the Federal Reserve, and then they couldn't afford all this stuff that they do. Right. That's right. Well, I, I know you. You said okay. you, I, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you any longer. But just yeah. just if just 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 leave us on this side. Is there anything? You you see out there, or, or do you have reason to be optimistic for America's future at all? I'm not optimistic. Are you? No, I, I'm more optimistic probably than than you are. But I'm also very pessimistic, like you are, about what <laughs> how this thing's going to unwind. I think the bubble is going to burst, but I think the seeds have been planted. I think uh, uh, the the experience I've had indicates that people can change their minds and they will receive the message of liberty. And when everybody's broke, maybe they'll be more willing to do it. And if they see yeah. the correction being come, so I think that. Uh, yeah, we're going to go through it. The, the more government does, the longer it'll last. Uh, the more willing they are to permit the liquidation of debt and malinvestment, and and the willingness to restore sound currency and the principles of limited limited government, the shorter the the agony will be. But uh, so the the crisis will come. Things will get worse. But it might. Uh, I don't think it'll go get cleared up in a year. But you know, in time, uh, there's no reason why you and your kids one day might have a better system than ever. But it's not going to be done without people doing a lot of hard work and a lot of effort in education to know what people can defend and how they can defend what personal liberty is all about. Certainly. Well, that's that's great. I really appreciate you giving us uh, your time today. I can't tell you what an honor it is for both of us to talk to you. you know, I've admired you for so long. And like I said, just to have, to have your name on the cover of my latest book is amazing, an amazing honor to, as well. And it's it's even more gratifying to talk to you. So thank you so much, Very Ron good. Paul. Good to be with you. Thank you, Take sir. Take care. Take okay, it easy, Dr. Paul. Okay. Thank you.